0: You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Today, our guest is Dr. Tracy Kaiser, who's a Kramer alumna and currently serves as an Associate Professor of Marketing at the Kramer Graduate School of Business. And I'm here with our panel of Kramer students and alumni, which includes Gerard Mitchell, MBA 2018, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA, MBA 37, and I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone.
1: Hey, Clara. Good to be here.
0: In a moment, we're going to listen to the Kramer Connections interview with Dr. Kaiser that was broadcast this past May. But before we do that, I want to ask the panel to share some of their thoughts on what the audience should listen for in that interview. Uh, so Kyle, what do you think? What should listeners check out?
2: I was really impressed by Dr. Kaiser's willingness to, to be vulnerable during this interview, and she shared so much that was meaningful to her personally. Uh, in my opinion, her openness makes her very influential.
0: I love that.
1: I I think just her story of success and sacrifice and her grit really came through in the uh, interview. It was amazing.
0: Oh, definitely. Um, And what I'd like to add for my own part is that Dr. Kaiser really has some wise things to say about listening to your soul and being aware of that as you choose your path in life. Um, And that was really impactful for me. So in the second half of the show, we're going to have Dr. Kaiser here with the panel to discuss more about um, personal backstory and the importance of messaging in a changing business landscape. So please stay tuned. But first, we're going to check out that Crummer Connections interview. Uh, The next thing you hear is going to be host J.B. Adams welcoming our guest. Let's get started.
3: Today's guest is Dr. Tracy Kaiser, Associate Professor of Marketing at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Her specialties are in consumer psychology and behavior, as well as branding, advertising, and urban marketplace behavior. And her research has appeared in the Journal of the Academy of Marketing Science, and the Journal of Business and Industrial Management, the Journal of Public Policy and Marketing. Dr. Tracy Kaiser, welcome to the show. Thank you, JB, thank you for having me. Let's start by focusing on your specialty we have seen an entire transformation in the marketing landscape over the course of this past year and some companies got out in front of it like they could see what was coming and some companies didn't
4: so from a marketing point of view what is your reaction to that i think we were all in a space of the unknown last march in march 2020 and i think no one foresaw how how detrimental this was going to be for the economy, for consumption, for our markets. We just didn't know we were in a state of unknowingness, um, unless you were lucky enough to be alive from the, the Spanish flu pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. But we never saw it coming. And so I think the firms who were really responsive, um, they did so because they had the talent to be responsive. And they had the foresight to understand that the pandemic mirrored, maybe recession after Mm 9-11, or maybe the pandemic mirrored um, um, 2007-2008 economic environment. So I think the companies who were able to respond very quickly were able to do so in previous crises and they did it well. But for companies, especially startups, that were doing this for the first time and they didn't have the experience of going through some of the economic turmoil of the past decade or so, they were caught off guard. Um, I don't think they could have anticipated what was going to happen uh, moving forward. So I think there's there's wisdom and experience. And so the more experienced companies were able to respond accordingly, um, but not as well as some of those inexperienced or newer companies that were in the marketplace.
3: Well. Well, I, I want to start just by saying that the pandemic was hard on everyone, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, folks have my empathy because people certainly lost lives and some people lost businesses and some people lost jobs. But from a business point of view, we could say that there were winners and losers from a marketing point of view. A- and it's not lost on me that this interview is being recorded through Zoom. And Zoom business boomed during the pandemic. Can you think of some other? people who who were doing well or not?
4: So, J.B., that's an excellent question. Um, I think prior to COVID, you're absolutely right. If you just look at the stock price of Zoom a year ago mm-hmm. um, and where they are now, they have certainly benefited from the pandemic. But I would say companies um, like Zoom are really focused on business and even social interactions. Um, which is great because people who were not on Zoom or familiar with the platform can now see their loved ones via the technology. So the blessing for Zoom is not only that it succeeded and did well, but it also allowed people to connect with their families. So I think that's a that's a positive for everyone. Mm-hmm. But if you think about companies like Peloton and other companies that allow consumers to have experiences at home, they also are the true winners for the pandemic. Um, And this is really important for marketing because now Peloton has really changed the way that people work out and engage in fitness. And now there's the company Mirror, who was acquired by Lululemon. These companies are getting it right. Post-pandemic, there's still going to be a skittishness of consumers wanting to go out into the marketplace to have certain experiences. So companies who are winning in this pandemic are those companies who managed to bring their brand into the homes of consumers and to do it well. And I think that shift, I don't wanna call it a disruption because of the sensitivity of the pandemic, but that shift to meeting consumers in the home versus having the consumers meet the brand in the store is really, um, I think it's here to stay. I don't think that's going to change once we turned a corner on the pandemic.
3: Yeah, I have to say that I agree. Uh, So we're going to shift gears a little bit and go into your business background. Uh, This gives us a chance to get to know you and understand you. Um, I know you were born and raised
4: here in Orlando, but tell us a little bit more about your early business influences. Early business influences. So that's fairly interesting. Um, So I would say I didn't really start to think about businesses Um, until I was a college student or in college. Um, My mother was very entrepreneurial as a child, but I just thought that was her passion and her hobby, um, but not her business. (laughs) And I know that sounds weird to say, but um, I spent a lot of my childhood growing up seeing my mother and father be very enterprising. So I didn't have an official storefront. Um, but certainly they engage in selling and creating items for sale. My mother was a seamstress Mm. and she designed, not designed, but she made wedding dresses Mm. for ladies across Orlando. And she also made (laughs) draperies for people to go up in their homes. And so growing up, my sister and I were her little helpers and people would come over and try on things and she would adjust. And so I saw that that was in my periphery, my entire childhood. I would say from my father's perspective, he was an engineer, but he wasn't a businessman. Um, So my father was really um, a very logical and highly perceptive man. Um, So if I take the empathy and the softness and kindness of my mother, and I combine that with the perceptive nature of my father and his logical and rational nature, um, I just think it gave me a solid way of understanding the world and understanding people Um, and so I would say that between the two of them, they were certainly very, um, inspirational and very influential on how I saw the world and how I charted my course going forward.
3: And would you say that you
4: apply these
3: lessons today in your own life? You know, what, what are the strongest aspects that you take
4: from them that you apply? So my mother was the fifth child out of 12. And my father was the only child so my mother um, having such a large family you know and everyone had to do their part and during that generation and you know this as well is that families had large families to work the farm Mm -hmm. Um, that's how they made their living um, in those days and so my father on the other hand was the only child and came from a very um, i would say a privileged background Um, And it's really interesting that he and my mother found their way to each other. Um, So I I have the hard work ethic and just the sheer drive of my mother, because she always talked about how hard life was going to school and working at the same time for my grandfather. And then I have my father, you know, where he didn't have to do any of that. He just enjoyed life. And so I think between the two of my parents, I take the best out of both of them. My father was ambitious and free and smart, and the world was his oyster. And my mother believes in hard work, you take your time, but never quit. So I take both of those pieces of my parents and I, I infuse them together and that's who I am. So when students encounter me in class, I'm always told that I ask for too much. Heavy workload, but there's no other way to succeed in my book you can't cut corners, you chop the wood, or you saw the wood until it's done. And that's what I take from my parents. If you want success, you have to work for it. It doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come overnight. And it sounds like
3: uh, a contrast that turned into the right combination for you.
4: Absolutely. And I think that's what also brought them together, right? Yeah. So the cores are the same, the core values are the same, but the life experiences are very different
3: exactly all right everyone our guest is dr tracy kaiser and we'll be back in a moment to learn more about her professional journey please stay with us
2: hi my name is brandon anderson an early advantage mba student here at the crummer graduate school of business at Rollins College. My time during undergraduate was a complete immersive experience. When I was searching for the next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best option for me. Crummer has helped me to gain the aptitude and grow as a leader, which have both been essential in reaching my potential. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu.
3: Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I'm JB Adams. And our guest today is Dr. Tracy Kaiser, Associate Professor of Marketing at the Crummer School. Before the break, we were chatting about your early business influences. And now we'd like to learn a little bit more about your professional journey. I always say that each professor's career journey is uniquely different. And so what's uniquely different about yours?
4: All right, JB, thank you. So A journey is what we always talk about. And even here in Crummer with our executive DBAs, we talk about helping students on their journey. Um, And if you think of the metaphor for a journey, you think of someone who's on a long walk and they're trying to get to a destination. Um, And I think that's fitting for most people. Um, But I like to think of a journey as a stopping point. And I don't like the idea of there being a stopping point in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to look at things as maybe an evolution, and maybe that's the scientist in me. Um, so I would say that the way that I have evolved to become a professor is really based on a series of steps along a journey, but I don't think my journey is finished. Mm
2: -hmm. And
4: so that's why I like to think of this as being an evolving process um, and an evolution. So naturally, I started um, my degree um, in chemical engineering. I was a biology major in college. Um, I went to school with the intention of becoming a medical doctor. So I started college on a full scholarship to major in biology pre-med. And that was my choice because my mother had been diagnosed with kidney failure in March of my senior year in high school. So I wanted to go to college to focus on biomedical engineering um, or biomedical anything to figure out how to address the issues with my mother's health. And specifically, she had lupus. And so she had lupus for about nine years, and the lupus began to affect her kidneys. And so when I started college... Her kidneys were working 5% combined together. And so she was really motivational for me choosing um, the biology pre-med pathway. That summer, June, before I started college, my father also passed away. Um, And he actually passed away of kidney failure. So I had this double whammy of my mother and father being so very in my spirit as I started um, college. And so I was really passionate about that. Well, my father was an engineer, um, and he wanted me to be an engineer, but I said, no nope, pre-med, because that was really where my heart was. I started my my degree in biology pre-med, and I just thought it was too easy. I was like, I'm much smarter than this. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds arrogant, but once again, looking at the Gen X personality, you find your way, you're independent, you discover yourself at each stage of your being. And so I switched to chemical engineering, um, and I still could go to grad school for a biomedical engineering. Fast forward to my senior year in college, my mother was in need of a kidney transplant. And so I forewent my last semester in college and I traveled back home to donate a kidney to her um, in April, right before graduation.
3: <clears throat> now, so now help how- people understand When you donate a kidney, that takes some time, and it's a major shift in your life.
4: It's a major shift in your body and a major shift in your life. And so surgery was early April, late March, but the workup to doing that started long before it. So we go through compatibility tests. We go through various scans to figure out which kidney is healthy. And so I literally had to stop school my senior year in college to be available to travel back and forth to have all the tests done so it took me about six or seven months to heal and then i went back to school and i finished my senior year in the fall um but i was headed towards to graduate school for biomedical engineering like i stated but at that point because i'd given my mother a kidney um i didn't feel the need to Go forward because i thought the gift was already present it was inside of her and um, so i decided to just go ahead and be a process engineer so i started my career at amoco in houston texas or clear lake texas um amoco was of course bought by bp and i was a process engineer there um, once again wearing the badge of honor being a woman engineer um, but I wasn't happy. I was wearing steel boots, safety goggles, flame-retardant clothing. And my personality is very much that of a people person. And here I was being isolated in a plant. And I was so unhappy. But it was such an honor to get a degree in chemical engineering. And so I had this chaos and this conflict in my mind. And so I decided that I was going to quit. <laughs> and um, I told my mother, And I said, I'm going to come home and figure my life out because this isn't working for me. And she almost flipped her wig. Um, (laughs) She was very disappointed. And Orlando was home. So I moved back to Orlando and my mother thought I needed counseling, which I think is great. Um, I never went to counseling, but I did go to Crummer.
3: There's a a period of time where you don't know what's going to happen next. You just know that this chapter is done
4: this chapter is finished and I'm stepping out on faith and I'm stepping out on my soul's need to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. People should listen to their heart, listen to their soul. And if your soul is driving you, you take that leap forward. Um, So I came back home to Orlando and my mother says, you have one degree, you don't need a second. Um, And so I decided to get my MBA from Cromer and that was a two year program. And I'm staying at home with my mother, taking care of her, because that's where my heart and my love, my mother was my heartbeat. And once again, here we are, a rewind of undergrad days in college. My mother passes away in January of my last semester in the program. Mm -hmm. And um, the universe will give you what you're supposed to have. And it was a reflection moment for me. And I said, "Okay, God, I got my degree in engineering. And I wasn't happy there. And here I am getting my business degree. 9-11 had happened in September. My mother passed away in January. And so in those months, I just felt like I had zero control of my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was Dr. Carol Anderson, who was a marketing professor. Um, I went to her office one day because I was just so lost and I cried in her office and, um, She said to me, she says, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna find your way. And I said, my mother was my grounding source. So she always gave me a compass on what to do next. And I don't have any of that. And so she talked me through it and I met with her on a weekly basis, I remember. And she one day said, I think you should get your PhD in in marketing. She's like, you're really good at it. You have a great mind for it. And I think you'll do well. And I said, I don't want another degree. I just want to figure out my way. And I, and I resisted. And she says, well, the opportunity is always going to be there. So don't discard it. So by the time I graduated in May, I wasn't going to attend graduation because it was bittersweet. And I did because at that point I said, OK, I'm ready to face the world. I'm ready to move forward. I can do this. And JB, I, I, I can't even explain to you um, shortly after, you know, having a conversation with Dr. Anderson one day, I went home and in my mailbox was a flyer encouraging me to get my PhD. It was almost as if the universe and God said, look, I'm giving you your steps. You wanted to know what to do next because you didn't know what was coming. Here you are. And so I immediately applied um, for several PhD programs and I looked up to heaven and told my mom, "I know you didn't think I needed the MBA, but guess what? I'm gonna get a PhD too." And I was so tickled by the fact that this is how it all played out. And so that was my evolution getting into the PhD program. And I went to South Florida because I wanted to be close to my brother and sister after losing my mom. Um, I did not receive funding, oh. so I for my PhD, which most people do. And so I I thought that was another obstacle. And um, I said, nope, I am not turning back. So this journey does not have closed doors. Every door or every hurdle is meant to be achieved. You don't stop. So I paid for my PhD out of pocket my first year. And then by year two, I had double the funding of all the students because I knocked on every door on that university campus and said, hello, my name is Can You Help Me? Yeah. And I did, and I got the support. So well, I, I don't
3: know if you if you have a takeaway ready to share, but oh. you, you call to mind for me two words that go together. Earned determination.
4: Absolutely everything in life we have to earn jb we we just can't have someone give it to us and it's only significant when you earn it um and that's what we're trying to instill in our son is that you have to earn it like no one owes you anything and no one's going to give you what they don't think that you should have so if you want something and you don't want anyone else to stand in your way you earn it
3: yeah powerful stuff um It's a powerful takeaway. What we're gonna do now is we need to move on to our next segment, which is about what students should expect when they take a Dr. Tracy
4: Kaiser class. So what are some of the main courses that you teach? So JB, I teach the core marketing course and I also teach marketing electives. I teach the marketing analytics course, market research. Um, I would like to see a branding course um, come to Crummer as well. Um, But those are the three courses that I currently teach. Uh, marketing management, marketing research, and also marketing analytics.
3: And what's your philosophy on teaching these courses? What should a student expect when they take a course with you?
4: So given my engineering background and just my passion for logic, um, they should expect to learn marketing from a very procedural and systematic approach. Um, And for some, that's great. And for others... You know, they just kind of want to get to the end. And I will say for MBA students, it is very tempting for MBA students to go straight to strategy. Oh, Mm -hmm. I know how to fix that. But for marketing, and I think what students can expect from my course, strategy is is the end step. But before we get to strategy, there's a series of steps and there's a process for understanding why that strategy needs to take place. So I will walk my students through a very process-driven approach to marketing so that they can know all the pieces and all the steps that are involved.
3: And uh, this is, again, a little bit of a personal question, but tell us what you love about being a professor and being in the classroom.
4: So... JB, that's a great question. Um, And I will tell you, my first passion is teaching. I learn as I teach, and I'm a lifelong student. Um, And I'm also a closet nerd. I read a lot. I take in a lot of content. So the idea of teaching affords me the opportunity to learn from other students um, and to learn from my colleagues, um, quite truthfully. So I, I enjoy the fact that my life is never stagnant. It's a dynamic process of growth that never ends. And the other side of that is that when you get to meet students from all different backgrounds and walks of life, I like to find things that I like in other people and try to emulate that or add that to um, the portfolio of my person. Um, So it's always nice to meet wonderful people. And it's always nice to meet people that really have this one or two qualities that you just find absolutely amazing. And it kind of makes you want to be a better person or be the best version of yourself because these people have these wonderful things about them and so i enjoy that part of it
3: well you uh remind me as someone who has been around the crummer school for quite some time now that i think what makes the school unique is that we invite people to bring their whole selves to the Mm -hmm. experience
4: Mm -hmm. that is absolutely true and i like the whole self approach um and it done correctly you get to see people's weaknesses as well as their strengths. Mm -hmm. And I think it's our weaknesses that make us human and it's our strengths that make us superhuman. Um, And so in order to be good at what you do, there's gonna be a combination of both. Yeah. I I met with a student group last night and um, I shared with them that I read an article last week that says every time you make a mistake, your brain actually grows because mistake is actually, mistakes are actually healthy for the brain. And so I shared that article with my seven-year-old son. So now he's intentionally making mistakes because he wants to have a big brain in his terminology. Um, And so I said, for the students, uh, they don't like their mistakes. They want to have a perfect paper and I respect the need to have good work, but I said, it's okay to make mistakes. You know, this is the place where you can do that freely.
3: Oh yeah, and I say celebrate them, own them. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're part of your identity and, and uh, there's something to be proud of. Dr. Kaiser, we're about to wrap up our time together. So I would just like to ask, what message would you give to a prospective business student?
4: So that's a great question. Um, we talked earlier about the journey and evolution and all of those metaphors for when someone starts anything that's new. And so I would say to a student, whether they're in the undergraduate Rollins community as a business student, or even the Crummer Business School, um, that whenever you start a journey or start your process, or you are in whatever stage of your evolution of a person, you're doing it because you wanna be your best. You're doing it because you you see inside of yourself something that's compelling you to become better. So because of that vision that you have for yourself, be open, be open to everything and everyone that you encounter during your time at Rollins. Um, Faculty are full of wisdom, they're full of experiences, and they're also very diverse. So Mm -hmm. be open to diverse perspectives, be open to other people's humanity, however that may look, be open to failing Be open to celebrating small victories with your colleagues. Just be completely open to becoming a new and a better person because at the end of the day, you are here to get closer to the best version of yourself. And in order to do that, you have to be completely vulnerable to new experiences um, as you go through your program.
3: Great advice, not just for a career, not just for school, but also for life. Dr. Tracy Kaiser, I want to thank you for joining us on the Crummer Connections and for sharing your story with us today.
4: JB, it was a pleasure chatting with you this morning. Thank you so much for having me. We'll have you back again. I look forward to it. Certainly, I will be more than happy to do that.
0: This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Dr. Tracy Kaiser to get her responses to questions submitted by you, our listeners, and Crummer students and alumni. You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Hi, I'm Guy Fagan, an Early Advantage MBA student at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergrad at Rollins College was incredible. I took every opportunity to get involved on campus. I joined the Cap Absalom fraternity, and I was also a member of the varsity men's tennis team. Crummer has an amazing
2: reputation in the area, so it was a no-brainer. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu.
0: In today's Crummer Hour, we're talking with Dr. Tracy Kaiser. She's a Crummer alumna and professor, associate professor of marketing at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. In the first half of the show, we heard Dr. Kaiser describe the importance of marketing and messaging her own professional journey and how success comes through hard work and following your soul. So now in the second half of the show, we have her here with us live in the VMG Zoom studio to have her respond to questions that were provided by Crummer students, faculty, and alumni. Dr. Kaiser, welcome back to the show.
4: Thank you, Clara. I'm excited to be here today.
0: I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Um, And it's a pleasure to have you back as always. So also with us, we have our panel of Crummer alumni and students, which includes Gerard Mitchell, MBA 2018.
1: Great to
2: be here, Clara.
0: Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37.
2: As always, thank you, Clara.
0: And as always, I'm Clara Mount, your host, MBA 2020. All right, so our first question is about your backstory and that comes from Gerard.
1: So Dr. Kaiser, how has your education in biomedical engineering influenced your approach to business?
4: So that's an excellent question. So my, my trajectory of course, as I mentioned before was to go to medical school and in the process of being in the natural sciences and also being in engineering, what I learned from those disciplines and my time in those schools was that everything is process or system centric. And so our approach to learning, our e- approach to engineering was very much much a systems or process approach. So it fit nicely with myself because I'm a very rational and very logical thinker. Um, and I think more than I feel. So naturally going into the teaching space, my understanding of business is not that business is abstract and you have to catch what trends or or um, events are happening, but there's a system approach to understanding consumer behavior. So as marketing, I deal with a lot of consumer behavior, branding type of research and corporate experience. And so I took my understanding of systems because consumers operate within a system of society and mm-hmm. to understand a system, you have to understand the inflows, the outflows and the general environment of a system. And then you layer that with a process or a procedure, how consumers go about making decisions. So my my background in engineering actually overlaid very nicely. And so when I started business school, I was able to understand things very easily because of my systems and procedural experience in engineering. Now, when I got to my PhD program, I did extremely well for the same reasons, with research, understanding the steps of research and discovery is very much systematic. Now, the only time that that degree <laughs> or understanding got in the way was in my psychology courses because psychology is very abstract. Oh. And the first time that I got a C in my doctoral program was in cognitive psychology because the systems approach just didn't overlay nicely with that particular discipline. Thank you for that answer. Absolutely, it's really fascinating to go from engineering to business.
0: Our next question is about marketing and it comes from Gerard.
1: In general, uh, what has your work in marketing taught you about people and society? That's a pretty loaded question.
4: (laughs) It is, and it's quite the abyss. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just joking. Um, You know, sincerely speaking, What I've learned about marketing and people from corporate and from teaching, everyone has a desire to be validated. That is why we get up in the morning. That is why we go to work. Everyone has a need for validation. Um, And with each act of consumption, individuals are engaged with an interplay between their self-identity and the cues of of society. And those things mutually influence each other both positively and negatively. So in essence, um, you see a constant striving effect that becomes endless, which is the downside of marketing, Um, is that there's a cycle where we're never fully satisfied with where we are because there's new gadgets, new innovations, new experiences, there's a constant striving. And so the only way to get in front of it is by having a conscience or having a conscious way of thinking that says, I am Tracy Kaiser without the need for X, Y, and Z. It's quite fascinating because we're all driven by something that constantly changes. Um, It it reminds me of the hamster hamster wheel of innovation layered on top of Maslow's hierarchy and how do we get away from that? But there's there's never a perfect answer. And I think that's the frustrating side of marketing too, especially when I teach students, it's not finance. There's, in finance, there's only one right answer.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: In marketing, the answer depends. And the answer depends based on the context and the lens in which you're both looking at the people of interest or your consumers of interest and
0: also where they are in society.
1: That's great. Thank you.
0: You're quite welcome. Our next question comes from Kyle. Kyle.
2: Uh, so influencers have really changed the game when it comes to endorsing products. I feel like we've, we've seen this on the upswing in the past couple decades. Um, do you think that this is the most effective way for companies to market and promote their products?
4: Oh, Kyle, such a very Gen Z question. <laughs> uh, influencers. Oh, they are, the, um, they are the new trend. So you probably won't like this answer, but influencers are certainly successful at bringing consumers into the brand franchise. We don't know how or why, we just know that they do. What I'm concerned with as a marketer is not how many people you can bring into my brand, but how many people become loyal or Mm. a sticky relationship develops once they are exposed to the brand. And so I would say traditional marketing, I can track the process of stickiness or that Mm -hmm. brand resonance much more so than with an influencer because I don't know if Kyle, Mm -hmm. if you were following the influencer or you're really following my brand. And so it's hard to decouple the brand from the influencer. So I think it's effective for one part of the marketing funnel, which is awareness and maybe trial. But when we get to the end of the marketing funnel, I don't know that loyalty is generated as well from influencers compared to traditional marketing approaches.
0: Uh, So for the next question, I'm going to claim it here. Um, What are some examples of marketing campaigns that you've been kind of the most impressed by in recent memory?
4: So this is a a fun question. Um, Once you become a marketer and you get a PhD in marketing, you are no longer impressed by anything marketing. because you can see the theories, you can see all the models that you learn about and all the advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say that just jokingly, but sincerely, um, the De Beers ad is one of my all-time favorites because of its simplicity in messaging and also its simplicity in presentation of the visuals. A diamond is forever. And it's not because it's diamonds. It's just because I think there's power in simplicity. So you will find that most of my campaigns that I do have a strong affinity towards or either visually arresting like Mm. um, Bentley ads. Um, We don't see very many Bentley ads here in the US and mainstream media, but they are widely available in European markets. Very simple. The brand is communicated visually very well. And there's few words. Um, And I love those advertisements because I'm very creative and very artistic. And so I like the creativity and the art of the campaign. If we want to switch to a CPG product, um, I would say Procter & Gamble has a really great history of doing great advertising. And if you think of the Tide commercials, they feature a lot of everyday scenarios in their ads, whether mm-hmm. it's your son, mother, father, kids. I like to see humanity. I like to see family represented in advertising. And so you just can't go wrong with... Um, We call it slice of life advertising. So either it's visually arresting and very powerful to the eye or it features the everyday scenarios or families that we see. Those are the ads that really draw me in.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking what you said about visually arresting um, the Mac advertising that I see often because it's a a cosmetics company and they do... um, they do like all kinds of crazy makeup and stuff. And it's not even really about the product. That's just people in the products. And they're they're doing these really cool kind of splash images and stuff. So like, that's what I'm thinking about when you say that.
4: And they've also uh, have now featured a lot of transgender yes in your advertisements. And I think there's, there's so much power in that. Um, mm. And so I love that they're being bold and creative and inclusive. It just really represents the brand in an authentic way that... I look at their Instagram feed and I'm just looking. Just yes, it's all beautiful, it's all powerful, and it just really resonates with what I believe about authenticity.
0: Yeah, they were one of the first brands that I saw that used male models in their cosmetics ads as well, um, which was just huge when that happened. And then to see how they've kind of championed transgender people as well, like that was—it's a good brand. <laughs> It really gives you a sense for what they stand for.
4: That's exactly right. And not only just championing championing transgender people, but also diverse models. Mm -hmm. The world of makeup can be very segregated, but MAC was one of the first companies, if not the first, to really embrace the entire diaspora of people of color, Uh, whether you're Latinx or African-American or African, everybody's included. And I love that about the MAC brand. So you can see yourself represented in the makeup, the palettes, and also in the models.
0: Yeah. I love that. I I did not expect to connect with you over makeup today, but I'm here for it. (laughs) All right. Our next question comes from Gerard.
1: In your uh, Crummer Connections interview, you talked about companies that grew and or declined as a result of the pandemic. Now that we're nearing the end, what trends in marketing and consumption do you see on the horizon?
4: so that's an excellent question and so it goes back to a previous question that we had about your question you asked um actually gerard about what has marketing taught me about society and people Mm -hmm. and i connect these two questions together so when we look at human behavior and people in society um one thing i another thing that i have learned about marketing is that everything is cyclical right um and people like change when it benefits their life and people are adaptable. Um, and that's what I learned uh, through marketing over the years. And so I say that to say that um, we have shifted the way that we lived because of the, of the pandemic. And so naturally we are not going to revert back to pre-COVID behavior. We're going to hold on to some of those behaviors um, as we see the end of the pandemic. And so what that means is that there is now a home economy. Right. And so when we talk about the home economy, it's people have converted their living spaces to workspaces, to gyms, um, their dining and more. And so what I think is going to happen as we end the pandemic, those of us who are vaccinated will be more likely to go out and adopt more of our pre covid behaviors. And then some of us will actually still maintain the digital um, the digital behavior that we have become accustomed to. So I don't see that there's going to be a major shift moving forward. I think it's going to be bifurcated by those who are vaccinated versus those who are not. And I think that we're going to see um, differences more so among the generations because we see the vaccination patterns also among the generations. So the Gen Z's, the younger generation, they're not fully vaccinated, but they are the ones who love experiences. Mm -hmm. So we may see that experiences and trends and experiences like cruises and things like that may take a slower while to recover, but for dining out, um, for going to, let's say, shopping malls or restaurants or things like that, we may see an uptick in that more readily or quicker than we would for other industries. So I think it just depends on who the primary demographic is for the particular industry that will determine how consumption behaves or how it changes over time. Um, And what should we be looking for in terms of instant marketing or quick marketing, people who want to indulge after having been on quarantine for so long. So we saw earlier in the year that credit card spending had declined quite, I think by 40% since the pandemic- Oh, wow. Oh yeah. For people who had the disposable income, certainly, but not for people who had lost their jobs. And so what we expect to see is that people who had quarantined and who have the disposable income, they're gonna start self-treating. So we expect to see an uptick in that immediately, and then maybe that will plateau off a little bit. We expect to see online shopping continue at the same pace that it has been since the pandemic started because people have just grown, grown accustomed to the digital shopping. Um, and I would say, overall, the digital stickiness or the digital inertia that was created by the pandemic, I think that's here to stay. I don't think we're gonna go backwards on that aspect.
1: Oh, that's great, yeah, yeah. I agree with that for sure.
4: I know I said a lot, but the final <laughs> thing I have to say is consumers are adaptable. And so as retailers start to adapt to consumer preferences, we're gonna see a lot more flexible models of serving consumers. And so companies should be prepared to continue to be creative and flexible in how they deliver their services because consumers are ready for it.
1: One follow-up question. Do you see e-commerce overtaking in-person retail in the next five, 10 years?
4: I do not. <clears throat> so there's a term that McKinsey Consulting uh, came up with, which is a combination of physical and digital, and they call it, I can't even pronounce it, it's F, no, it's P-H-Y-S, digital. So phys- phys- you get the point. <laughs> <laughs> like a really odd word, but it's kind of like global, right? So globalization and then localization, it's one of those amalgamation of two words. And so what McKinsey talks about is that people are going to stay digital, but they still have a desire for physical touch. And so it may be going into the stores and having this physical experience and still ordering online. So kind of balancing the human factor for the senses and still shopping online. But I don't think digital is going to overtake physical store. I just feel like consumers are gonna always want to have a need to leave their homes and to be out and about. That's a human behavior trait that I don't think is ever gonna be resolved with a digital offering. It's like hugs, right? People miss their hugs for COVID. You can't replace a human hug. So I, I just think that a human
0: aspect is hard to replace.
1: All right, we'll have to see what happens there. Thank you.
0: You're listening to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. Our guest is Crummer professor Dr. Tracy Kaiser, and we'll continue our conversation with her in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry.
2: For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu.
0: Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Krummer professor, Dr. Tracy Kaiser. And with us, we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about Dr. Kaiser's career. Next up, it is time to play Crummer Insider Free Association. So this is a um, series of kind of short answer questions. I'm going to start a prompt and then just invite you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, are you ready to play? I am ready to play. All right. So first up, I started my Crummer education in the year. 2000. And I finished classes and graduated in the year. 2002. For our international study, we went to.
4: Germany and one other location that I cannot remember.
0: The thing that made the greatest impression on me during our international trip was.
4: Oh, this is a tricky one. So I barely remember my trip, (laughs) (laughs) but I do remember um, when I was traveling, and this is a true story. We were coming out of Germany to fly back to the United States, and I was questioned in the German airport. It was in Berlin for about an hour.
0: Oh my gosh.
4: And so when I was going through um, the process of going from security to the boarding area, I had a bag on my shoulder, a carry-on, and it was um, the organization that I belonged to was on the bag. It was stitched on the bag, and it said the National Society of Black Engineers. And of course, I was an engineering major in undergrad, and so I loved this bag, and so I traveled with it. And one of the soldiers, not even a TSA guy in Germany, (laughs) a soldier, said, are you an engineer? And I said, no, I'm a student. I'm a business student. He says, why do you have the bag? And I said, it's my carry-on. He says, come with me, pulled me out of line, took me to an interrogation room, and says, I read your back. You're an engineer. Are you here to blow up my country? Oh my God. Wow. What? And he says, What kind of engineer are you? I'm a chemical engineer. And then he brought in someone else. And I was in trouble then. And they asked me how long I was in the country. what, what was my educational background? What did I do while I was in Germany? It was I cried. I literally Oh my cried. God. big scary men because I had no idea what kind of trouble I was getting into. And I told them that I was no longer a practicing engineer and they didn't believe me. And I had to get our faculty advisor because they really thought I was a threat to their country. And when I returned back to the States, I remember feeling not only humiliated, but just terrified that my life meant something that it didn't. And I didn't know wow. how to, I didn't know how to frame that. But it was a very scary moment for me. So it was my first time abroad, um, excluding Niagara Falls, Canada. And, <laughs> and I just didn't know how to receive that. It was it was an eye-opening experience for me. Wow, thank you for sharing that.
1: <laughs> it's a great story.
4: Oh, yeah, it was very intimidating. Uh- I will say jokingly, the other impression when I was in Germany, there were so many African men who came up to me and told me I was beautiful because I was from the United States. Oh, that was fascinating too.
0: Oh, I'm glad we got to end on a little bit more wholesome note, maybe. <laughs> um, all right, next next free association. My favorite course was
4: consumer behavior
0: that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> my favorite professor was
4: Dr. Carol Anderson.
0: And during the experience my greatest time management moment or lesson was
4: you work until it's done.
0: Oh, that's real. <laughs> <laughs> that is real. Love that. All right, thank you so much for playing with us. That was really uh, that was fun. Thank you. Our next question is about your role as a professor, and it comes from Kyle.
2: Uh, What lessons have you learned from your students that you've been able to apply back to your approach to business or to teaching?
4: That's a great question, Kyle. Uh, Firstly, I believe the classroom as a whole benefits from a climate in which all students, regardless of their race or gender, have the opportunity to learn, express their ideas, and to be heard based on either their experience or their ability, and not just on power and privilege. That is a very core belief to my teaching pedagogy. Um, And so from my students, I've learned that the celebration of humanity for all students is truly a difficult task for those who can't see past their own privilege or their own power. And I think it's this limitation that has influenced the way that I engage with students and also how I design my curriculum. So that content is presented um, in a way that reflects the spectrum of not only just managerial decision making but a human experience altogether Um, because I think it's important to allow all students to be valued and to feel valuable in the classroom and truly the best teams in business are those teams that are diverse, they have diverse perspectives, and those teams where everyone's experiences kind of come together to create this beautiful kaleidoscope of creativity. And so from my students, I learned that my role is not just to give content or to teach content, but it's to create that kaleidoscope effect inside of the classroom. And it's not very easy to do, but I know that that's a part of my my uh, my role as a faculty member and so what you find yourself doing as a faculty member is having metacognitions you think about the way that you think in order to bring everyone to the table while teaching and so that's what the difficulty the difficulty is is bringing all those perspectives to the table and thinking on hand of how to move the conversation forward in a valuable way for all students
2: yeah, that kaleidoscope effect is a, is a critical piece. So um, thank you for being a proponent of that.
4: Absolutely. And I think the same thing happens in business. Uh, when we're consulting, the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're bringing a lot of perspectives to the table um, environmentally and also from the client's perspective of what their issue is. And you have to do the same thing.
0: Our next question is about your personal and professional development. And the next question comes from Gerard.
1: So you've talked a lot about the value of working hard and never quitting as a path to success. But what we want to hear is how do you stay motivated?
4: I'm starting to see a trend in Gerard's questions here. (laughs) (laughs) So certainly, um, you know, I'm a PhD, so I think of everything in terms of theoretical constructs. Um, So motivation is just an inner drive to take action, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that inner drive by definition, is intrinsic to the individual, Um, and it's based on that individual's desire to create or achieve a particular goal. Um, It's easy to stay motivated when the goal is short in term, so short-term goals. It's difficult to stay motivated when it's more long-term, but I think individuals have to realize that motivation pushes you and keeps you on track. And nobody, you have to want it more than everyone around you. And so a great way to explain this is when I was in my doctoral program, it's five years, four years if you're really, really good, five if you're average. Mm
0: -hmm.
4: I was four and a half, so you do the math. (laughs) So once you get past your comps, your comprehensive exams, you now just have to write your dissertation. So you're no longer in class with faculty members, you're just writing. And so my advisor said, Tracy, you are now past your comps. It is now a race against one. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, the only person standing in your way is you. So you're going to either write every day to get out of here in four years, or you're going to drag your feet, and it can take you five, six, seven years to get your PhD. And so this whole idea of a race against one, when you're motivated to succeed, and you have an end goal in mind, you're going to press until you reach that goal and so staying motivated is less about convincing yourself that you can do it and i think it's more about reaching the finish line and not only just reaching the finish line but it's driving yourself you have to be driven and so when we drive a car we don't just stop the car at a red light we pause but we keep going and the same thing works for motivation you give yourself breaks you give yourself rewards You keep going until you reach that goal. And as I'm teaching my son, just because you have a goal that you reach with your pauses and your rewards, let's set a new goal. We never stop reaching for goals. Like you don't stop achieving or aspiring towards a goal until you're in your casket. Like life is not meant to be lived at a level of mediocrity. You keep climbing higher. My personal mantra is know thyself, learn more climb higher. And I remind myself of that, and that's how I stay motivated, that there's always something new for me to learn, and there's always a position, whether it's internal to my understanding or whether it's with the job, that I could always continue to climb higher. And that higher doesn't mean more pay. That higher doesn't mean a bigger title. That higher can just mean impact, that significance that comes with doing a particular thing. And so I think the key goal is to always have goals, whether they're five-year, 10-year, 15-year, um, and to give yourself pauses or breaks, and to give yourself rewards, but never stop striving.
1: That's that's great. That's great to hear.
0: All right. We are actually bringing the session to a close, unfortunately. Um, and so the last thing I want to do is ask if you have a closing message that you want to share with the Crummer community.
4: That's, um, that's a great opportunity for me to kind of say just very sincerely, um, just be you and be true and make the world a better place. That's what we're here for. Um, I don't have any phenomenal wisdom other than that.
0: I think that's very profound, even even just in its simplicity, right? We were talking about simplicity.
4: (laughs) Right. Just be yourself. Be true and everything that you touch, make it a better place better environment once you've been exposed to it
0: oh that's so awesome um well with that wonderful message i want to say dr kaiser thank you so much for joining us on the crummer hour really appreciate the insights you've been able to give us today
4: thank you it's been my pleasure
0: and i'd also like to thank our panel representing the crummer graduate school of business gerard mitchell and kyle sawyer and just thanks for being here everybody
4: and thank you gentlemen it was a pleasure talking to both of you today
1: yeah this was great this was great thank you very much for participating
2: fantastic thank you so much
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's Crummer Hour has been brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, responsible, innovative business leader. To learn more about the programs and begin the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business, experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform or visit our website at victormediagroup.co. Today's show was hosted by Clara Mount and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell and J.B. Adams with sound editing by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Greg Golden, Director of Student Media at Rollins College, and the entire team at WPRK, as well as Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in Crummer Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. This is Clara Mount, and until next time, Fiat Lux.